welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I'm jacked about this one, and hopefully we keep a good reception, but I've got a pretty sweet freaking surprise for all you out there. I've got Brendan Hansen with us on the podcast. Welcome welcome to the podcast, dude. Hey, thanks, buddy. It's, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Well, I would not do you justice if I... All I know is that you're a badass swimmer. You freaking got gold medals with Phelps. And if someone Googles you, they're going to see more six packs. You've got, you've literally got like 700 Google images just flaunting all your riblets, your obliques, (laughs) your six pack. So, but damn, dude, I was so excited when um, our mutual friend, Ben O'Brien, actually kind of hooked us together because um, you guys at the shop, which we'll get into, um, listen to the podcast and you listen to the podcast and coming from someone that's literally, you know, a world class, better than a world class swimmer and coach and instructor to come up and say positive things about what's going on in the in the archery world with what i'm doing is is very 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 humbling indeed so i'm like we dude we got to get on and talk talk about the relation to what you do and what we do and how all this jives together to help people out yeah and then you you start with this little bromance talking about my body and how many give me um yeah, man. I think it was, uh, you know, I think it, it's kind of cool how all that worked out. Um, I think when you talk about my swimming career a little bit, it just, you know, all, all those things were benefits of uh, all the, the hard work and everything that we did to, to go to the Olympics and, and race at that level and compete at that level. And, um, you know, it was, just, it was just one of those things that I think um, you kind of – once you're in it, you know, it's kind of hard to describe, but when you're, when you're in that process and you're, and you're chasing that dream and trying to go for that stuff, um, what a lot of people on the outside looking in are like, dude, you're crazy, man. Like, that's nuts. I can't believe you swim 70,000 meters a week or like 24 miles and you, and you, then you throw in nine dry land workouts or weight workouts in, in the mix with all that. And to me in the time when I was doing it, um, it was just kind of, uh, is this going to give me the competitive edge to win, you know? And, and so it was, uh, I think what I loved about your podcast, um, I was a fan before we even met. Um, and I, you know, I've been a fan of archery for, we can get into why that is in a little bit, but, um, you know, I think what I love the most about what you, what you teach and how you do this podcast and things is, is you talk so much about the process and not about, you know, the trophies and, and, and the, and the, you know, the big white tails that you shoot and all that kind of stuff, which I think is awesome too. But at the same time, it's like you, you won't have any of that stuff if it doesn't come down to being obsessed with the process. And the parallels between, like, that mindset and then the way an Olympian thinks are 
unprecedented, you know? And I think that's like, that was kind of the conversation you and I had at ATA, which is about like that, that conversation. And it was just, you know, it was cool. And I think Benny kind of saw it, Ben saw that well before we did, you know, and he was like, you two need to meet. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. That's awesome. I'm a fan, you know, like, and then we started talking about it and it was like, wait a second, this is, this is pretty cool. I know. I wish we, I wish that, um, that Yeti dinner would have went a little longer because yeah, we were totally in the element. You know, if you're people don't, people don't understand that regardless of when you're really into something, the amount of reps or the amount of time or the amount of sacrifice, none of that's even relative. It's not even in your thought process. Like in when I was, when I was really, I set a lot of real, really high goals for myself in, um, 2006. And that was the year that I really said, um, I feel like I want to move on to something else, but I want to, I knew, I knew that I wanted to really give it everything for a year. And I set a lot of goals for myself, many of which that I've never really talked about because it's not relative, but some of them were, being re- um, ready for very specific courses that um, I knew there would one there would be people there that I really wanted to beat on their on their ground, but also just being able to prove to myself what my consistency level was. And in that year, you know, I think I shot somewhere between thirty-five to forty thousand arrows at ninety meters, and it's. You know, I wish I could still do it. People say, you know, Jesus, that's crazy. But I just, I loved the process so much that, you know, I just, I was like engulfed in actually challenging myself. And, you know, you, you were in a team sport, but also an individual sport. And that's kind of what's cool about archery is you can train as an individual and you can really, you know, some people thrive on that. I'm one of those people because I'm process oriented, not performance oriented, but then the performance, um, that side comes out of me when I'm in a team element. Like I really would rather win as a team than win as an individual. Um, it just, it brings out like a whole new level and excitement. I just really, really liked that. But from an individual point of view, what I do during my training, those are the things that I guess I personally think about and define me because there's stuff that you, that you challenge yourself with in practice to where no one's going to get it. No one's going to get it anyway. And it also is the ones where you can sit there and think, you know, regardless of what people trash talk or shit talk right now, um, which I actually dealt with this like two days ago. I had someone in our industry shit talking me about, you know, about some things that I said on a podcast and then went on to say, well, what's he, what's he ever really done? You know, and it's like because if you're process oriented, you'll do things on your during your training that really will define you as a person. And it totally changes your your self-image and it changes your comfort level of what you really feel like you have to prove to other people. I mean, do you, do you side with that? I do a lot. I mean, I think here's the first thing when I mean, <clears throat> when I got to the level that I wanted to be at and um, 
you know, it was kind of more the collegiate level. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be able to pay for my school um, on the swimming level. And, you know, I had people along the way, some coaches tell me, and you could potentially go to the Olympics if you keep working this hard. And um, it wasn't until a little bit later that I realized that that actually could become a reality um, because I, I, what I always found was is that when I was training in a, in a training setting with people that were better than me, then my level of intensity, my level of focus, and my, you know, my, my, at least my intensity in, the, in my process or whatever it was um, went up went up way higher. My standards were, I raised my standards to whatever that level was. So I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of people make when they're, when they're sitting there going, oh man, I, you know, they're they're always looking for that. Like I'm going to go in the group where I'm either in the middle or I'm the best because I want that positive feeling. And I, and I was always the guy that went in there and was just like, I want to be around the best or whoever is the best. And cause my whole, my whole saying when I was swimming was I wanted to swim like the, the person I wanted to be, not the one that I was. And that always kind of kept me on that edge. Um, but, I mean, what, what really made me fall in love with archery, which really correlated a lot with swimming, was um, you're only as good as the swim that you're on. And yep. in archery, I always felt like you're only as good as the shot that you're on. You know, and that's what I loved about swimming was is that I could, you know, I, I raced again. I, I swam in the era of Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte. We won a bunch of medals together, you know, and, and – what was cool was is that we would get in races together at World Cups and all around the around the world, and you know you'd get up there on the blocks and you'd, you'd sit there and be like, okay, I get that you're Michael Phelps next to me, but you, right now you're just another guy in lane five, and I'm in lane four, and it's about to get down. You know, we're about to throw it down, and I think that really parallels and, and correlates a lot to what archery is because you get up there on the line or you you know you're in the tree stand and you can you can hit X's and hit you know 14s all day or whatever it is and but when that big whitetail walks out, you're only as good as that that arrow that's in that in that you know in that rest and ready to go, and you and you got to perform at that exact moment. And I and I I've always found that I've just like I've loved I loved it when preparation met opportunity. You know, like that was my favorite thing. Is like because I knew that I fell in love with the preparation aspect of it. So when that moment hit and I had the opportunity to show everybody that, oh man, it was like that to me was the end all be all. And I, I felt like I would thrive in that, in that world. And, you know, those athletes, then they, they, like you were saying, those athletes, when they get to a team oriented situation where they're so individual with their process, and then they get an opportunity to be in a team, um, that overwhelming sense of pride and excitement to do it with somebody else is, is awesome. And that's why you see it like in the Ryder cup, you know, those guys that are professional golfers, and then they go in there and they, you know, they represent the United States or England and they go in there and, you know, Europe and they go in there and compete against each other um you see their level of game just go up you know and it's crazy and you're like that's awesome and like that's what when you go to the Olympics and watch like man it's even in the track and field even in the swimming side of things when you get a chance to uh compete individually it's really scary it's really fun you get to represent the United States which to me is like I don't even, I can you won't have we don't have enough time to explain what that feeling is like, but um, when you get up there with three other guys and you get to do a relay together and and throw down and know that you're representing the United States, it's like <laughs> I, I remember because I was on some really memorable ones. Um, one to note was uh, I was the breaststroker that um, Michael Phelps went off of when we he won his historical eighth gold medal. So you know when we were in Beijing and we, he made that run for eight golds, 
we I was on the relay. That was the last eight. I was the eighth gold medal. We won that gold medal, and I'm sitting there getting on the blocks, going, "Don't screw this up, man! <laughs> you can make history. You can make history. You know, it's like, all right, you're only as good as this shot, you know." And it was kind of interesting, but um, but the confidence that we had gone up there with, um, knowing that we had prepared, and and the guys that were going up there with, it was one of those things where we were like, "Okay, we're going to win." And like yeah. we are the best. It's how much are we going to win by, and are we going to do it with the class to where it makes everybody, you know, the five billion people at home that are watching, um, proud of us, you know. And and that was it was cool, man. It was like um, I think now that I've kind of separated myself from um, the competitive side of the sport since 2012. London was my last games. Um, I've kind of started to realize a lot of what I did in the sport um, because, like I said earlier, is I don't really remember a lot of that stuff because I was so focused on what I was doing. Like, I would, you know, in uh, 2006, what you were talking about was a great year for me. I broke the world record three times in a month um, in three different countries, and I was just, and everybody's like, man, you're just crushing it. And I was just like, man, I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to drop the line, raise the bar, <laughs> keep going. And, now I'm looking back on it going, damn, dude, I really did, you know, that was really, that was really, really something, you know. So I think a lot of people don't really understand that, like, uber-focusedness. But what's funny is, is that um, when you get to that 1% of that, like, and you get to meet a lot of those people now because of your success, and, and I, I've met a lot of people, but the, the common denominator is the same thing that you talk so much about in your podcast and what I talk a lot about with my athletes in Austin and everything else is just about how if if you if you focus on the result or you or you try to fix the past you're never going to be good today and you're never going to you're never going to figure out how to get to where you want to be and that and once you start being uber focused on that process man like it's amazing how doors open up and you get this clarity and then you have this mindset and all of a sudden people are like well, how are you doing you know you're starting to do things that nobody else ever done before and then it's like they want to get on that boat. They want to be in on it. You know what I mean? They're like, let's do this. You know. So, it's been um, it's been cool to watch your ride, man. Like I've, I've been I've been kind of following, and as I got more into the archery world, I, I kind of find myself again um, finding ways to get in and follow and 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 respect the people that are way better than me and way no no more way more than I do, and and to kind of learn from them in hopes that I you know can. Uh, go out and be a little bit more successful in the woods and and shoot my bow the proper way and and um, when I'm practicing the process obviously doing it the right way so I think it's a it's a it's a big movement going in the industry right now um, at least from the Austin side of things I live in Austin Texas and um, we're seeing a huge growth in and just recreational archery um, people going out and um, wanting to shoot their bows in the backyard and, and, and moms and dads and like coming in with their kids and, and buying uh, recurves and wanting to just kind of fling arrows in the backyard. And I just think that, you know, the level of um, accountability and responsibility that you have when you're shooting a, a, a bow um, and kind of learning that, like, you're the only one to blame if that arrow doesn't go where you want it to, right? And well, that was kind of the way swimming was for me. It was like I would swim a race and it really came down to, um, you know, whether the time said what I wanted it to or not, it really came down to me sitting there in the mirror going, that was your fault, or, man, great job, that was all you, you know. And so that, the more you can teach yourself that accountability, I think these sports do that no problem, you know. Oh, yeah. There's so many, what's awesome about, 
What's awesome about talking with so many of the people that I've had on the podcast is a lot of times you guys get on subjects where I'm <clears throat> I find myself being a listener and I'm like wanting to interact during at so many times during the things that you're saying because I'm relating in so many different ways and you hit on like three different things that were that were really important for for the listeners to bring out of this um one of which was you know when you really talk when you talked about how prepared you guys were for that moment you knew without a shadow of a doubt that no one was going to beat you and that's so important when it comes to your mental approach to practice and to becoming better because when you have that much confidence in what you're doing you're able to to clinch that one moment when it arises and a lot of people you know, a lot of people have gone through some of their careers as either as archers, um, target archers, or as hunters, and they they sometimes talk more about the one that they kind of that they messed up on, or the one that they blew, or they say, "I haven't ever really got to, I've never really been able to make it happen on you know the biggest buck of my life." But that's why so much so much of this preparation is relative because when you're truly prepared and i've talked about it in the past about checkmate because i i i actually hear that hear my mind saying that a lot um you know when i'm when i'm like one on one with an animal and i'm waiting for that one that one shot opportunity as soon as i see that's done and i'm like literally wrapping my fingers around that release to draw that sucker back. I mean, in my mind, there's no question that 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 arrow is going right where I want it to. And that all comes from just countless hours of focusing on being ready for that moment. And I remember um, I had a buddy of mine here in Iowa hunting with me, the deer hunting with me this year. And he had shot a um, a buck a little bit before, or I think maybe that earlier that day, I think is what it was. And then that evening, there was a doe out there, and I said, man, you should really, you know, really fill your doe tag. And he's like, I don't know. He said, "It's that shot's kind of out there a ways. And I said, I'm like, I know you can make that shot. And he's, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, well, I just, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to, you know, leave here making a bad shot on something. I said, well, why don't you leave here making an awesome shot on something? And he just kind of like, he got it. He just freaking rolled that sight, dialed that thing in, and just sent a a meat missile just right out there. And it was, I mean, it was a heck of a shot. It was, it was, you know, a tournament class shot. And but in all fairness, this was someone that just spends every day devotes time to beating on the craft and pounding that in there and sometimes when you're prepared for that moment if you have that right mindset there's like nothing stopping you from making it happen and that's what a lot of people miss on is either not having the self-confidence and knowing they were fully prepared or they cut corners and weren't truly prepared and that's what planted the seed of doubt which can be the negative part so you don't want to be in that position you want to be in the position where all you have to say to yourself is 
there's nothing more I could have done to be more prepared for this moment. Yeah, and I <clears throat> I think what I took away from what you just said was as like, you know, I think you always need somebody in every situation of your life having, I mean, whether, you, you know, you're in a tree stand or you're just running down the road, but it's like you you need to have a coach um, of some sort, like just somebody that's going to nudge you to bring that out. Because a lot of times I think people try to do it all themselves and they don't really, they don't get that third-party view on what's going on, you know, because they're so skewed. Like I said, like I was so, my mindset was so skewed when I was chasing you know, Olympic gold medals and, and, and trying to win it, you know, money and, and do all the things that I was doing. And my, my whole thought process was skewed and, and paid attention to that where, you know, the other parts of my life were going by and I had, I needed somebody to kind of nudge me and say, Hey dude, you can totally do this. You know, I mean, and then, then that reality becomes just enough to where that triggers, like you said, triggers that self-confidence and triggers that, uh, that, all that preparation and everything because they're like, okay, this guy, this guy knows it. And that's why, you know, I think, I think the reason he made that shot or, um, I hope he made that shot, <laughs> Yeah, he did <laughs> but I think one of the reasons he, okay. Yeah. I think the reason he made that shot was because he knew he was hanging out with somebody that was better than him at shooting. Right. Or, and like, is that credibility aspect? I mean, I, I, look, I work with swimmers all the time, um, here in Austin and, a lot of times, like, it, it's just the, what I would, the craziest thing for me is sometimes just the smallest things that I say to these kids, um, it, it changes their confidence level like that. I'm just, I'm just nudging them. I'm just, and, and because of the credibility of what I've done in the sport, they look back on it and they're like, and, and, then, and then after that, it's all them. It's not even, you know, it has nothing to do with me or my, what, my, what I think their potential is in that, in that, in that race or whatever it may be, but um, you know, I think a lot of people try to try to attack things, and, and they go, okay, okay, everybody talks about preparation, and everybody talks about process, and I'm going to go after that, and I'm going to really focus on that, and I'm going to hit my rep, get my reps in and all that stuff, but at the same time, like, you you always need somebody that's going to nudge you, because it's it's natural instinct to be, it's natural instinct to be kind of comfortable, and I think we're, anytime you can put pressure on yourself, anytime you can get out of your comfort zone and go into that uncomfortable zone, man, that is, like, that is where I live. That is where, and I, I know that because that is how I got to where I wanted to be. Um, and when you, like I said, when you surround yourself with that, those 1% athletes, like when, I, when you go to the Olympics and you walk around, you're like, oh, crap, I'm around the best of the best and every country's represented and these are every, from every sport and you're around the pinnacle of athletes. Um, you realize, like, you're like, wow, everybody thinks the same way. Yeah. Everybody kind of has the same process, and it's, like, it's comforting, you know what I mean? And it's kind of cool to have that same conversation. A lot like when you and I were at ATA Talk, and it was kind of like, hey, man, like, you get exactly what I'm saying. Like, you you know, it was no different than me having a conversation with LeBron James or Kobe Bryant when they would come watch us swim in Beijing and watch us make that run. They were just kind of saying the same thing. They're just like, man, you guys, you guys think – that you know kind of the same way we do yeah we've but. got we've got the same chemicals the same flesh i mean and you know i've always said you don't necessarily there's a lot of people at home that don't have necessarily a coach but on the same lines you don't necessarily have to have a coach but you need a motivator and what i've always said is you know um you know motivation is what gets us going but commitment's what keeps you going and sometimes you just need that little nudge 
And it's funny how when you step in, well, it's actually funny how some people and really what defines good athletes or great athletes, when you step into those elements, sometimes the best of the best actually crumble in their in their peak performance, whereas the people that go in there and have a little bit more nerves and have a little bit more sickness, they're the ones that just all of a sudden just come out of this shell and bring this this unknown performance to the table and it was because you know they just stepped up they just they manned up and stepped up to the plate and you know brought a whole new performance level out simply because their back was against the wall and they felt the fight or flight you know yeah and and that's that's the truth i i think way more what i mean don't yeah don't um it has nothing to i I said coach, but I definitely agree more with the motivator aspect because, like, for instance, my wife motivates me probably more than anybody. She doesn't really coach me on, um, but she always was, she was the one that would push me. You know, she kind of knew me better than everybody else. I completely outkicked my coverage when I married her, but, like, you just, um, you know, after after 2008 in Beijing, I swam, I swam those Olympics. We had a great one. Um, you know, obviously, we've finalized the meet with a gold medal in the, in the medley relay and it was great but i was just burned out man i was done like i, I was just tired I, you know i felt like I, I couldn't do it anymore so i took two years off of the sport and and then kind of did some other things nonchalantly just kind of chilling out and then um came back in two like i started looking at 2011 and 12 and saying man i i still think i got it like i still think i can do this i think my mindset is better now than it was and my wife just looked at me and was like, "Go call your go call your coach." My coach was Eddie Reese at the University of Texas, and he was a, the head Olympic coach, and I mean one of the one of the greats of of the sport. And, and she said, "You need to call Eddie and, and go to go to lunch with him. And you need to go to practice." I mean, like she she had already known just from my mindset and who I was, and and kind of nudging me. And I was just like, "Okay, you're right, you're right," you know, and. I think I think a lot of times people don't you know try to find those you, you need to have those people you need to find those people because they'll they'll push you to that limit and like for instance a lot of my hunting buddies that I hunt with in in, in Texas a lot of those guys are they're god they they're way better hunters than me you know what I mean and I I try to just hang with them and and learn and pay attention and you know and hope that I get better because it's uh I just find that when I put myself in that situation I, I get to a level that I never thought I could, and then I also get there a lot faster than I ever thought I could, you know? Sometimes stepping away is the best best thing you can do to progress. That's a, it's a, it's almost like a, I don't know, it's it's like a weird cliche, but I do that, I've, I've notoriously done that before my biggest events, um, because I'm the type of person that gets really hungry for things, and there's times where... I call it I call it selective cycling. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that, but you know, I find that if I step away from something that I really love, I just get so passionate about coming back like full steam. And when I start to feel like I'm getting to that point of maybe a slight burnout, I just step away and do something different for just long enough to where I still know I can come back and go 100% like headfirst into preparation to really be ready for a peak performance at a specific time. And a lot of people miss the boat on that when it comes to competitive archery athletes. They just shoot 
year round and they shoot according to what a coach gives them for numbers. Um, I've just never been a fan as, as a coach to just giving people. And that's one reason why I don't, you know, tell people on, on social media, they're like, well, how many arrows should we shoot, shoot this week? Well, I just, if you're with that athlete, you can judge what mood they're in. And when they're shooting good, you just challenge them and you put these new little hurdles in there and you start watching them break these benchmarks. But when they're in that mindset, maybe like you or I are, that's the time where it's almost like, let's find a way to focus on either getting them in better physical shape and maybe spending more time you know, in weights or training, or maybe we spend a little bit more time on a team round where they're not necessarily just in a repetitive cycle and give them a mental break so that you can come back with a very, very specific focus in mind. It's, and that's the truth. It's like there's two, two things that I've found, and it's both, I think it affects your body physically and it affects your body mentally, but it's amazing how fast the human body can adapt to any kind of stress. Oh, yeah. Um, physically and, and, and mentally. And, like, and so it, it's funny because one of the biggest hot topics with swimming is like our calorie intake, right? So everybody's like, oh, man, you guys must eat 6,000, 6, 7,000 calories a day and everything and I mean yes we're we're up in that range but I'm also you know swimming in the water for four and a half hours and and you know close to 15,000 meters a, a day is what I think what we were at um and at altitude for that matter but um what was crazy was is that from I talked about 2008 and kind of burning out but like after that 2006 summer where I broke the world records and everything I went really hard like I had all that success and I was like man I want more and I threw more on the table I worked harder and like physically my body was just adapting to the stress of everything meanwhile my mind is just every day I'm going in there and just getting more numb to the process right and then <laughs> what I found was is that like I, I mean just if we're talking about weight purposes and like 2006 I think I was like 183 pounds and then in 2008 at those Olympics I was 194 pounds or 197 <laughs> pounds and I was like I, I mean and you know you take any swimmer whether you're good or not and throw a 10 pound plate on their back they're probably going to go a little bit slower you know I mean oh, don't get dang. me wrong I swim great in those Olympics but everybody's like dude how can you burn all of those calories and keep working out the level that you do but you're gaining weight you know, and I, I mean, my body just adapted to that workout. And what's crazy, Dud, is that I took those two years off. I did some triathlons. I got on a, a, I got on a bike. I tried to find myself some new athletes that I could kind of hang out with, kind of remove myself from swimming. Dude, I went from 197 to 181, and those that's when you started seeing the pictures that you started seeing. Dude, I was like about as ripped as I've ever been in my entire life. When I, you know, because I just threw something different at my body, and it just responded in a way I never thought it would, and and that was the that was cool. And then what I found was is that it same thing happened physically, happened mentally. As soon as I started doing something different, my mindset, even though I was still going down the same path, right? Like you're still trying to shoot good arrows and still try to have a good round and still try to make your mark and stuff like that. Um, the, it, through the process of changing of changing up that process, man, I just it was amazing the the clarity of all that and you know you talk about cliches all the time man but for me it was always um 
every every sport I ever did or anything that I ever did, I, I still think everything is, is so skewed the mental side of things than it is the physical because I've seen people do that things that they should never do physically but just set their mind to it and went out there and did it, you know. And um, and then, you know, I've seen guys that are just should have ran away with the event or something like that physically but just were mental midgets when it got behind the blocks or, you know, got up there at the Olympics to race. And, it, you know, it, it's just – you kind of have to be that total package, but at the same time, it's kind of like you said. You got, to me, it, it brings up a whole other conversation about balance. You know what I mean? Like you got to have balance in your life. You got to have that, be able to do that. And when you can think with that balance and have that balance in, in your favor, um, good things would happen. Because 2008, I should have. 2008, I was fourth in the hundred breaststroke, and I should have won the event. I was prepared enough to win the event, but my balance was just not right, you know? And then what happened was is I got it right two, two years, you know, four years later I go to London in 2012. I win the bronze medal in the 100 breaststroke out of lane eight. No one's ever won a medal out of lane eight. I mean, and I just had my mind set up. I was like, this is happening. I told the team before we went out that night for finals, I said, you will hear the national anthem tonight, and everyone here is going to do that, and that's what we're going to do. That's what we came here to do. And my mind, I mean, it had already, it had already, in my mind, it had already played out. <laughs> And then turned around and we, 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 you know, we ended the meet with a gold medal in the medley relay and it was all good. So I think when you look at, uh, when you're talking about breaks and taking breaks, I, I mean, a lot of people are like, I'll lose ground. And what I found was is that if I just took like a little, uh, you don't have to stop everything. Just go find something different, <laughs> you know. Um, and then what you'll find is that you'll gain some of the some of your biggest gains will be when you change your when you change your uh, process a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what's crazy is when you have that freaking performance that you're talking about, and then or you have that moment where you just come out of your shell and mentally, for whatever reason, you're just a hundred percent just committed and you have no doubt and you just like roar through something. And then the next day, like try to do it, and you're like, it's almost disappointing because you know there's something there preventing you from doing it again. Because there's been days, there's been days where I've, there's been days where I've ran certain paces, and I haven't done it again. There's days where I just get on my bike and I just ride for hours and just don't even like think nothing of it. You're just in this zone. There's been days where I've just grab dumbbells and i'm just like just ripping through it with like form and then a day later i'm 40 percent less and it's like how do i you know if you could find out a way to tap into your into your full 100 percent potential all the time it would almost be ridiculous what the level of this world could be if everyone knew how to do that and I think the people that everyone idolize in sport and anything else, they just handle those situations differently. You know, they handle, you know, some people let them eat it, eat them up and they can't handle that. And that's, I think, um, <clears throat> there's so many people out there with the potential to do things that, I mean, even in the, in the sport that I was in, uh, there was people that were way better than me, man. Even, I mean, all the way through age group, um, into college and, and I, I swam against all of them, but I think a lot of those people were just setting themselves up not to fail. Whereas, I mean, I was just raised like, go, you're going to learn way more from failure than you are success. So 
go figure it out, dude. Like, just go in there and, 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 and give everything you got, and wherever it lays, we'll just figure out what it is, and then we'll come back tomorrow and be better. And I just kind of, I kind of thrived off that. You know, I thrived off the um, the Navy SEAL kind of saying of the only easy day was yesterday. And, you know, even even if you have a great, whatever your numbers were that day or whatever your paces were, whatever it was, that's great, but tomorrow is going to be harder, and you want it to be harder, and you want to be better. So that was kind of the the mentality. And what's what's funny is is that when you have that mindset, um, you, you kind of take on this leadership role, um, which was cool. I mean, I was I was captain of the 2004, 2008, and 2012 Olympic team because that was my mindset. I don't think I was like a big – I mean, in team meetings and things like that, I wasn't going to stand up and give this huge Lombardi speech or anything like that, but – I think um, when you talk about like kind of being an innovator and, and trying to change the way a sport's going or make something mainstream, a lot of what you know what you what you have already done and are doing in the in the archery industry, at least from a, a fan like me watching this and seeing it and listening to it, you know, um, when you when you push that kind of mindset, people are gravitated towards that. Me personally, gravitated towards that. I'm like, I got to learn from this guy. I got to figure out how to be better. I, you know, is he gonna? What how how is he going to give me that competitive edge to to do what I what I want to accomplish and um, and so I think so many people just kind of set themselves up not to fail which is fine you may get like let's just say you get seventy five maybe eighty percent of what your actual potential and whatever your task and what you're doing is good but like I think what when you know I, I know you hang out with a lot of the MMA guys and stuff like that but what I love about them is that they're so in the moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're oh, not yeah. worried about whether they had like four or five bad workouts that week. They're like, dude, it, it's <laughs> it's time to go. When that door shuts, like on the, uh, they're ready to, they're, you know, they're ready to throw down. And I love that in the moment athlete. You know what I mean? And I think that's what I, I mean. Archery for me, I love flinging arrows and, you know, and shooting them down range and, and the competitive side of things. But for me, the the chase of whitetails, um, you know, that cat and mouse game, and and knowing that like. At any moment, everything can go wrong, and you got to learn from that process, and and hopefully come back tomorrow, and and try to be better and and bag that buck. But um, to me, that's just like in that moment, like being in the moment. To me, that's like the most fun because I, I like I said, I love it when preparation meets opportunity, and you get to just throw down in that exact moment and and see what you're made of. I mean, that's just about as real as it gets, you know. Well, you've worked with some of the the best sports college, sports psychologists there are to offer i'm sure you know there's oftentimes mainline sports like obviously swimming or track and field you guys are going to be able to recruit some of the best mental coaches there are we're probably in the archery side of things and honestly i've had i've had a few i worked with um lanny basham um probably 15 years ago and i've worked with a few different ones but you know what what type of things do they teach you guys or what type of things have, I guess you probably have found the things that worked best. And now you literally have a, probably the best training center there are for swimming swimmers in Austin, as well as a really awesome archery shop. But, um, what type of things do you really key in key in on? If you were to pick, let's say three points, for the listeners who are really wanting to elevate 
a peak performance, whether it's as a tournament archer or whether it's a whether it's a hunter wanting to be able to make it through that moment of buck fever. What are three aspects that you can tell us from what I would say? I'm sure you've been acclimated to some of the best mental coaches there are out there. So what are they? I, I mean, I think you're only, okay, so number one would be rituals. Like everybody has, it's your habits, right? And, and so I think when you have a certain set of rituals that match up to what you're trying to accomplish, you have a better chance of accomplishing that. That's what I was always told. And rituals are something that you're going to do every day, whether you want to do them or not. I remember um, David Robinson um, telling me one time, he said, being a professional basketball player was um, doing the things you didn't want to do on the days you had to do them. And, and, then, and that just, I remember bringing that up with one of my mental coaches and him saying, that's your rituals, man. That's, every, that's everything that you, that's when no one's looking, that's when everybody's looking, watching you prepare for everything that you're doing. It all comes down to your rituals. And that, to me, like, correlated specifically to trust. Like, you have got to trust what you're doing. Like, if you doubt for one second what you're doing is not the right thing, then it's not the right thing for yeah. you. Yeah, and and that's where I think it really comes down to because you know you compete you when you compete against the best in the world at something, everyone's going to have a different road to get to that point where you're behind the blocks and they say take your mark and the gun goes off and you dive in the water, and so you know you can sit there and look down the look and be like mm, the grass looks a little greener over there man you know it looks like he's not doing as much as me or maybe I should be doing that exercise or whatever it is, and your mind can wander off of that. But what you really have to do is go back and say, these are my rituals. I trust in them what they're going to do. And then you have this like impenetrable confidence that when you get up on the blocks or you get to that line and you have to perform when somebody else tells you that you have to go. You know what I mean? This isn't like a 60-minute game where you can miss three three-pointers and then you get lucky. You know, you, you've kind of hit one towards the end and you win the game winner. That's not this kind of – I'm not talking about that kind of preparation. What I'm talking about is – Take your mark, and that gun goes off, and you have to be ready when somebody else tells you to be ready. That's where the number one thing they would tell us that from a mental side of things was is make sure that your rituals are in parallel or in line with what you're trying to accomplish, and then trust in those because they may not be what the next guy's doing, you know, or the guy that you're going to compete against is doing. And that was that, that, was that one thing. Um, Something else would be, uh, well, I talked about it a little bit ago, was balance. Um, Majority of the time when I would sit down and talk with um, one of my mental coaches, they would talk so much about what was happening outside of the pool or outside of the gym, way more so than what was happening in the gym and in the pool. And I think what happened with me when I would have a, a stretch of bad workouts or, you know, not a good competition, I was taking all the extra baggage of everything that was going on outside of my outside of the pool and outside of the gym and bringing that to my competition with me and they're like you need to separate that you need to or or you need to be balanced to where everything's in flow and in the right direction you know you can't have friction in one area and then expect to be able to perform because uh, you know, your energy levels, your recovery levels, how you, um, you know, how you are going to perform that day is all correlated to the stress levels and then, you know, how you're, 
how the 20, you know, 20 hours that you're not working out and are going to really affect the four hours that you're just trying to be as intense as you can possibly and then take it to another level and raise your standards. And that's kind of, um, that was kind of the biggest, that was one of the biggest things. And I would say majority of the time, that's probably 95% of what is being talked about amongst like an elite athlete and a mental coach is not necessarily what's going on in the, in the, the arena, <laughs> but more so what's going on outside the arena and how that's affecting what's going on inside the arena. And so like what I've found is that like I've really struggled in, in the whitetail woods the last uh, year and a half, I would say, uh, mainly because I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, two oh, little yeah. girls, and <laughs> you know, and so like I, I find myself getting in the woods and saying, "Okay, I know this is good for my balance. I know I need to be out here, and I, you know, this is this is something I love to do." But I'm also saying, you know, is my did my two-year-old just do something funny that I missed? You know what I mean? Like I, I can feel myself wandering away from waiting for that twig to snap or checking the wind. Or, you know what I mean? Like really staying focused and really truly being in the woods. You know, so I've kind of like not been like what I would consider like that apex predator in, in the woods that I used to be or would really truly want to achieve mainly because I'm allowing a lot of my other part of my life affect that. Now, I still go out in the woods mainly, you know, now because I absolutely love it and it gives me balance in what I'm doing. But, you know, in that situation, the rest of my life is going to affect, I think it's going to affect whether I, you know, I, I, I bag that buck or not, or I'm going to, you know, get that shot of that big whitetail. And so that's kind of, um, that was kind of the, that was the only other thing that the really, the mental coaches got on us about a lot of times was like, you don't, and a lot of times we don't, we don't put a lot of, um, weight on that. You know, we don't really think that that doesn't affect us. And, and if you sit down with any of the best mental coaches, they'll say that is the number one thing. Your preparation can be impeccable. Your training could be the best. You could actually get on the blocks and be better than everybody else. But if you're taking all that baggage with you up there when you go there, you don't, you know. And so the last thing that we always talked about was a clear mind um, where you weren't really thinking about anything. And we always called it the sweet spot. Um, And you knew when you got there. Um, I I had a bunch of buddies that, you know, played baseball, and they would say the same thing. Like, you just kind of you got into this zone where everything else didn't matter. And like you, you almost, I, I would like kind of lose my hearing and I would just not like, I, I wouldn't hear the crowd. I wouldn't hear, I would be just looking down 50 meters of water and, and I would just get in this zone and, and everybody, you know, I don't know how many speeches I've given where people are like, what do you think about that moment? And I'm like, I don't want to like downplay this, but nothing, <laughs> you know, like you're just clear. You're just so, ready to perform it's almost like you're just pushing play and and kind of watching your own video and and because that's that moment and if you can hit that clear mind moment um and that that's the zone by all means I mean, that, that's the zone that's the zone and and i think what people what prevents a lot of people from doing that is that they think that i either have it or i don't i was born with it and i don't and i'm like that's a load of crap dude because i i, I definitely did not have it when i was younger I was, you know, I didn't get a lot, I didn't get really good in sports swimming until I was like 15. I mean, I played baseball and, and did some other sports. And so I, I didn't, you know, I was like, this is a, this is something that is uh, a skill. It is learned. It is acquired. It is a skill and you can learn it. You know what I mean? But the only way you're going to do that is by like the first two things that I talked about and, and then just kind of just really learning that if I can just really focus and be clear and just be in that zone 
then then that that arrow is going to go exactly where I want it to, or that clock is going to say the time that I want it to, and it's uh, it's really cool, man. It was like I, I think that's probably what a lot of athletes at that elite level are probably chasing more so than the accolades. You know what I mean? Like I thrived. I, I love. I was like I I knew it as soon as I would take my mark and I looked down and I felt like that clear mind and I was good to go. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I hope you're all watching. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? It was it was cool, man. You know, and I and I know I know you I know you felt that. You know what I mean? I know it because I, we kind of talked about this a minute at ATA, and I think you were like, "Dude, I, I get it. I know exactly what you're talking about." You know. Well, you know what's funny is um, I struggled for a long time. Um, there was in certain certain sports will introduce you to that moment, like you said. Certain sports are going to introduce you to that moment, and. Once you find that moment, then you start to really crave finding it in other aspects. So I found it first in archery. Um, actually, I found it first in skiing. A lot of people don't know, but I used to ski competitive moguls. And if you're skiing, it's it sounds weird, but looking back now that I know what I know about myself and what triggers those moments for me is is literally like repetition. I call it a stroke. So, and that's why I think meditation triggers that for so many people. I've talked to a lot of people um, who specialize in meditation because you can, if you really focus on breathing and medica- uh, meditating, you can, um, you can really trigger that that a lot faster sometimes than trying to find it in a sport where you're having to deal with anxiety at the same time. But for me, my first experiences with it was when I was skiing competitive moguls because my mom was, um, she worked for a big healthcare um, medical company. So she traveled the world. So she would, when my parents got divorced, my mom would say, hey, um, I've got a I've got a two-day meeting in Salt Lake, or I've got a two-day meeting in Tahoe, or I've got a um, two-day meeting. You know, I mean, she she was always somewhere, and she'd be like, "Do you want to do you want to go ski bumps for a day or something?" So I would go to these places, and I had the old Sony tape player. Remember the yellow one that was like impact? Remember oh yeah, like the, buddy. <laughs> I had that sucker, and I would just put my freaking tunes on, and I would just. I would like kind of surf through tapes and find tapes that the beats were relative to the bumps according to the spacing. And I would just sit there and just get in these bumps and just ski these runs where I was, I was purposely turning and impacting on the beats of the music. And all of a sudden you just trigger and you realize you're like, how long have I been out here? How long have I been, how long have I been doing these runs? And the same thing happens with archery when you and it kind of this circles back to when you were talking about balance. Archery is a very very good definer of balance because it'll check your shit really fast. If you don't have balance, you're going to be spraying stuff all over the place and um I hate having to like mention them so many times in the podcast cuz I feel like it, I feel like I talk about them every podcast, but it's just because I know that he kind of is really into this stuff, but you know, Rogan, he takes a long time to really find his stroke with archery. Like there's times where 
I'm about ready to be done. I'm like, dude, are we done? And he's all of a sudden, he just comes out of his shell and he just starts sitting there just wadding him up. And he's like, I just take so long to get to where I'm like there. And I think that's a, that's a reality check of people that have a lot of really cool things going in life. Sometimes your brain is just somewhere else. And I mean, especially with some of the, some of the shit that he does, you know, his, his brain isn't on like the Zen of archery. If he's talking about some guy beating another guy's face in a UFC coming up, you know, and then all of a sudden he's like switching gears to, you know, he might be talking with Henry Rollins about something. Then he's switching gears to archery. The same thing happens with everybody. If you're a, if you're like in a high stress job and then you come home and you're trying to practice archery at the end of the day, in those situations, you got to like totally be prepared for it may take you time to get into that zone. But for me, when I started to do it, I I actually didn't feel like I was watching my own movie. I just like I just felt like I almost was like I fainted and woke up later and everyone's telling me what happened. Like I don't I look back and I think Oh yeah, I kind of remember that, but it sounds funny. But um, one time I shot a, I shot a five ninety seven on an indoor feta face at U.S. Nationals, and you know it's inner ten, so the ten's the size of a dime. So essentially, I missed three of those on a six hundred round, and actually, I would have shot a five ninety nine, I think, but on the very last end someone that was with me just literally like I don't even know where I was until that moment I just remember them putting the scorecard like in my face and they're like dude three more arrows for a world record and I'm like what right and it just brought you right back to the reality yeah. right like and it it's just brought you back in yeah, and it was like nine, nine, and then I sat there and I'm like, ah, oh, get your shit together, ten. And I thought, you know what, <laughs> yeah. if that person if that person would have just said like, this dude's on a roll, just like don't say nothing, I'll guarantee you, because I had, I don't even know why I was there. I just, you know, I know I was there, but mentally I was just in such a rhythmatic state and no one was like, no one was coming into my zone and it was just like two and a half hours of a time warp. I was just in another galaxy. I don't even know how I was there. And I think, I think for me now, there's a couple things. Meditation is one thing that I really, really like to do. Just slow down and think about breathing. Sharon's actually really jealous because if I lay down to sleep, I can focus on like 10 breaths and be out. I can just really like focus in on breathing deep for about 10 breaths and I'm gone. But, you know, like that's because you get up at like 3 a.m., dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I know. Yeah. No most, people would hit, most people would hit that hard that, that, that late at night if you're going to give, you know, you're going to your alarm set or you're going to wake up at three. Yeah. Yeah. You're no crazy. Kidding. You're crazy, dude. You know, I I read a book one time about um, sports performance, and because there was a there was a time where I was just really questioning why I was the way that I was, because there were certain performances where 
camera people would come up to me and say, "Hey, I'm really sorry about hit, you know, bumping you during that shot." And I'm just like, "When?" And I I actually <laughs> yeah. I wrote into a sports psychologist that was um I forget his name, but he wrote a really good sports psychology book about baseball and he dealt specifically with with hitters that were in slumps and really focused on trying to get these guys, you know, into what he called the zone state. So I actually wrote in because one of the things that he had said that kind of really related to me was I I suffer with ADD and I really have a hard time focusing on conversation or I just find myself just being in my own world a lot and I feel like that was an asset to my performance as an athlete and I feel like it's an ath- an asset as an archer. So I actually wrote in to this guy saying, has anyone ever done any studies specific to high-level athletes and their ability to acquire the zone versus whether or not they have ADHD or ADD? And Unfortunately, the one person I thought could really relate and help me on that subject, the his wife ended up writing me back and said he would have loved to had talked to you about this, but he he passed last year. So that kind of sucked. I always I've always really wanted to find out if someone's if someone's done any research on that because you know for you or I for someone who is able to hand select so to speak, people that you really want to focus on building into a world-level athlete, I think that's very relevant. I think it's very relevant that you know people who are able to acquire that moment easier than others, they could be key athletes that you may want to be able to spend more time to because obviously if they get lost in that moment, their ability to have a breakout moment is going to be elevated. I mean, it's going to be a higher percentage chance, right? If that's a true study. Yeah. And I mean, I think what, you know, it's funny is like, I think I, I, my, I think I have some form of ADHD. I'm, I've never been tested or anything like that. Are you serious? I know Michael Phelps was. Are you What's serious? That? Dude. We, we, oh yeah. This is crazy. See, well, this I is mean, relative. Yeah. Well, so my, I think I do because, like, I'll I'll do some. I, if I'm not in the zone, I have a very hard time focusing on like four or five different things. But then, like, if I'm focused on something that's going on, my wife will have a whole conversation with me, and she'll be like, "Are you even listening to me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And then, like, two <laughs> days later, she's like, "All right, well, where are you?" And I'm like, "What do you mean, where am I?" She's like, "We talked about this," and I'm like, "I don't even know what you're talking about, dude." You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm, I'm out of it. You know, she's like, oh, my gosh, you did it again. And I'm like, okay, all right, you know. And I, and I we talk a lot, we, when we're talking about the zone a lot, I think, um, especially for your listeners, it's one to say get into the zone. It's another to kind of give them an idea of how to do that. Um, I've, this is one of the things that I've talked with a lot of my swimmers about um, that I'm working with, a lot of the triathletes that I work with, even, like, young professionals that we work with, um, trying to get them to kind of get that mindset. I think visualization, I think meditation is probably your highest percentage of getting into that zone because um, you can keep the focus and, 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 and take care of the things that you can control versus the things that you can't. And, like, you know, it always, it always cracks me up, man, when I, like, read an article in, in a magazine about how to deal with 
buck fever. You know what I mean? And like everybody's gonna like, I'm gonna get the new trick. I'm gonna, I, it's gonna tell me how to not feel the way I feel. Guess what? You're gonna feel the way you feel no matter what. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter how many ways I get into that situation. When I get behind the blocks at the Olympic Games, and I know there's five million people watching me behind that camera, it's not gonna change the way my heart's gonna beat. You know what I mean? And but what happens is, is that if I visualize and I do the and I figure out some kind of process to get me into that zone. I'm going to be able to handle that situation a lot better, you know? And so I missed a lot of bucks early in my, in my career, or excuse me, early in my, in my hunting uh, life because I would get, when the buck would come in, I would get fixated on that deer, and it was like I wasn't even blinking or breathing, you know? And my heart rate would just go up and up, and I'd feel it in my throat, and I was just sitting there, and then I, would, and then I wouldn't even know what kind of shot I made, and I knew that I missed the deer or whatever, but, and then the deer would run off, you know? And then I learned a lot about how to kind of manage that shot opportunity through, this, you know, through, the comp, like, through competition and through the sport of swimming was that, like, what I found was for me, especially when I would get behind the blocks and the final, I mean, you want to talk about pressure, like, when you go to the Olympics, you only get – it's three and a half years before you may op- get that opportunity for that again, you know? Like, so just a lot of times, like, when I would meet professional football players and stuff like that, they'd be like, dude, the Olympics is a whole other level because at least we have the Super Bowl every year, you know? Oh, yeah. So, like, at least I know that, hey, there's still a chance that, like, next year I get a shot. Whereas if you're looking at it from an, an Olympic standpoint, you're like, all right, I'm getting behind this box, and if I screw this up – I got three and a half years, four years before I get another shot at this. And guess what? I'm four years older, and I don't even know what my life's going to be like in four years, you know? And so that kind of pressure adds to it. But what we would do is just what, – what I would do is I would just take one long blink, kind of just – and then when I would open my eyes up again, it would just – it would correlate it to a really big, deep breath. And, and that's what worked for me. I kind of taught myself that through every day in practice to kind of re- re- reiterate – and get myself into that zone, um, that really helped me kind of reset, you know. And then I find myself doing that in a tree stand, you know what I mean? If I can just, like, that buck's coming in and I kind of look over to my shoot, shooting window and I'm like, all right, that's where I'm going to take that shot, okay. And I just kind of just not, but I just take, not take my eyes off it, but just kind of close my eyes for a second, correlate that with a big breath. And when I open my eyes, I'm like that apex, pre- I'm like apex predator. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to execute this shot or I'm going to dive in the water and break this world record and, and do what I need to do. So, you know, I think, um, and what's funny is, is that like Michael Phelps, all the other guys that I swam with, you know, I keep bringing his name up, but you know, everybody knows him, but it was just kind of like everybody had something a little bit different. Um, but everybody knew they had to get into that zone. You know what I mean? And yeah. for me right now, what I tell a lot of people, because I think it's probably our highest percentage of most people, general population getting there, I really do believe that like meditation, visualization, I mean, I could, I could visualize, I would sit there, I'd be on a 12-hour flight to Japan, and I would be sitting there thinking about the way the blown was going to feel under my feet and how cold the water was going to be and what the smell of the chlorine, I mean, I was taking in every detail when I would visualize this, and I felt like when I got behind the blocks, that just kind of helped me, boom you know, throw down. Oh yeah. Yeah. I call it my etch-a-sketch moment. Cause there's, I'm the same, I'm <laughs> yeah. the same way. And, um, if you watch me shoot, which I've posted videos of me shooting, not because I want to watch myself shoot, but mainly because I want people to, to observe certain things. And it's the same way when I, 
when I go through my shot routine and I and I'm pretty much set for my shot, a lot of times I'll close my eyes and then I'll open them with literally burning a hole through the center of that X, looking right through it. And it's the same thing. I always think about, I call it an Etch-a-Sketch moment because regardless of how shitty of a picture you've drawn with that thing, you can just turn it upside down and flip it over, no different than than closing your eyes and opening them. And you have a new slate and there's a brand new opportunity to, to do something awesome. And, you know, with archery, there's going to be times where you make bad shots, but, you know, I also go back to the fact that the only shots that you have control over are the ones, are the arrows that are still in your quiver. You know, there's no way, at least that I know of, to be able to bring an arrow back into your quiver that you've already fired. What's most important is the one that's still on the string. Well, the only one that's important is the one that's on the string. You know, the only ones that you'll have control over still are the ones that are in your quiver. But the one that's on your string are really the only ones that you currently in present time have control over. And it's it's critical that you're able to to reset your mind. And I feel like a lot of the high-performing archers the ones that continually do the best over and over and over again are the ones that when they make that one bad shot, they don't allow it to affect the ones that are still in their quiver. You know, that's, that's the guys that have a standout performance. You know, it, once that arrow is gone, you have to let that arrow go and move on to the one that you're clipping on your string right now. And that's that athlete that's not afraid to fail rather than trying to do a, do a performance that prevents them from failing, you know, because then what happens is, is that person that the athlete that gets up there and, you know, gets on the line and has that bad shot, they look at that shot as a failure. And then all they did is it just get fixated on that, on that failure. And they're like, Oh, I tried to prevent it. And it happened. You know what I mean? And they can't get that, can't get that, you know, that eight out of their mind. They're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened or whatever it may be. Whereas, the person that is not afraid to fail every day in their workouts or whatever in their preparation to get to that point, they're like, man, this happens every day. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm, I, you know, it, it's not, it's not uncommon for me to have, you know, because I'm always pushing the boundaries on what I'm capable of doing that. Yeah. A, a bad arrow is going to happen at some point in that, in that process. And so in, in conjunction to that, I'm, the next one's going to be better. And they don't even, for like, it's, it's maybe like a hundredth of a second or two hundredths of a second that they have that thought of like, oh man, that sucked. And then they're, they're back into their the zone and they're going on the next one. You know, I, I really do think that has a lot to do with like those people that want to, that really want to prevent themselves from failing. And then the people that are just like, yeah, I know that a lot of my growth and, and me taking it to the next level is, is I'm going to, I'm going to fall over and I got to get back up and figure out how to be better. You know? And I think, it, it all comes down to that mindset, but you know, it kind of it kind of correlates to like, um, I, I put it in the waiting list, man. I tried as hard as I could. I called Sharon. I was like, Sharon, I need to get one of these knocked to it. So she's like, <laughs> I'll email you when they come in. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, I was just like everybody else. Don't think I got special treatment. I'm not Joe Rogan. I did, <laughs> no, I, I did everything I could. And so I, you know, I got I got your release in right, and I'm like, All right, I'm ready to learn this. I want to I want to be better. And so I'm kind of watching your videos, and I start processing it the same way I would take like an eight-year-old kid teaching him how to, how to swim freestyle. First thing I would start off with is freestyle kick. I put him on a kickboard, and I'm going to have him flutter kick down the other end pool, kind of teach him how to do that, right? 
Well, I, 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 I did exactly what you told me not to do <laughs> in your podcast. You're like, hey, man, don't go out. Don't go just shoot arrows. Like, start and, you know, kind of feel it, you know. And I was like, no, man, I'm so jacked up. I went in my backyard, threw, yep. my, you know, threw it on my bow, started flinging arrows, had a couple good shots, you know, but, like, really didn't know what was going on. And then I came back and I was like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you doing this? And so for the last two months, I have a I have a 20 foot by 20 foot shed in my beside my house, and I've got a block that is about five feet off the ground, about six feet away from me, and I've been blind, blind bail shooting into that thing for two months straight, and sometimes I come back and I don't even open my eyes, and it's amazing to me how I'm starting to now. I I, I don't by no means do I feel like I'm even close to really mastering it but like i, I want to get to that point like you know and i have to know that this is to me this is like the foundation i mean maybe you're t- you can tell me if i'm wrong here but i feel like this is the foundation this is that eight-year-old me teaching him how to freestyle kick because freestyle kicks the foundation of all freestyle but i'm like sitting there going okay just take your sudden there's no there's no i took the sight off my bow i'm like all right just respect the process learn the process and I'm I'm gonna put myself through that, you know what I mean? And I've got I'm two months in, and I figured, uh, you know, my my new Hoyt's coming in uh, at the end of the month, and so I want to get that thing rigged out. And when I get it rigged out, I want to maybe start kind of pushing my way that way, you know, and 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 really kind of because I I just think that I can be better, you know, and so that's kind of what I that's kind of what I started with, and because I was a I was a caliber release guy, man, and I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I don't, I don't think there is anything wrong with that. But, I mean, I think it's pretty dang cool when you shoot out to 80, 90 yards with a with a nocturnal, and <laughs> you're watching that thing drop in, and it goes in the right place. It's oh, yeah. pretty awesome, you know. Like I, that to me never gets old. And so, uh, I don't shoot animals that far, but I do like to shoot targets that far if I can, and I'd sure like them to hit the mark that I want them to, you know. So, oh yeah. Well, did you? Um... I, I, I mean, you. You tell me, man. Is that the right thing? Because I, I mean, I tell you, I got I got so excited when I finally got the damn thing in. I took it in the backyard and I just put it on there and I just started flinging arrows and I was all over the place, you know. And I was just not really doing it. So for the last two months, that's what I've been focusing on. I mean, I, I kind of, like I said, I'm just like everybody else that listens to this podcast. I've just been kind of paying attention. And you're like, man, go back. Don't yep. try to don't try to be to just go back and go back to the basic, the fundamentals. And I think this time of year, granted, we're coming up on spring turkey, but Granted, this time of year, I feel like you can really make that move in the right direction to really, um, you know, train yourself to where the fall, which I think most majority of the hunters are out there in the woods trying to be successful, you know, then you, you, you know, get in the zone and get the right shot execution and boom, man, we're going to get some more pictures with, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, for, now, now is the, now is the time, you know, a lot of most I think most champions are always built in the off season. I mean, right? That was like, was that a right? Was that that was like a campaign? That was, that wasn't was it? Uh, Jesus. Yeah, uh, Emmett Smith. That's right. It That's was. Dude, he like I, the dude was crazy, man. Like he won the Super Bowl, and like the, that night he was in the gym doing bench press or something. There was like a Reebok commercial where he's like, "Champions are made in the pre in the off season," and I guess like four hours after the Super Bowl win, it was started his off season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's true yeah. though. It's totally true. It but, is. You know, yeah. you you did the you did what every 
every macho guy will do. And that's why I feel like <laughs> women and kids are oftentimes the best I'm students. cool with that, man. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I, I had yeah. to get I, – my thought is, is like, hey, man, you had to go back there and think you could figure it out right away. You had to make that failure to come back and be like, like you're an idiot. You know, I, mean, I remember walking in there. My wife's like, what's wrong? I'm like, ah, I'm just I'm, – I just made a stupid I, – I, like, he literally told me what to do, and I didn't listen. And so now I'm going to go do what he told me to do. You know, you know what's crazy is I, I and I think that's because I've been coached so much that I know I know that you know what I mean. So oh, I kind of yeah. wanted to, I thought it would be important to share that story because <laughs> I, there may be some people out there that are still just trying to fling that thing in the backyard. Oh yeah, well there's probably well I know there's thousands of them, but um, Joe actually said the same thing. He was there was when I went out and worked with him the first time. We we had talked a few times on the phone, and I just said, "Dude, I'll just come out and work." Like I know you're busy. I said, but I'll just, let's just, let's just shoot for two hours. I'm like, two hours, I'll guarantee you, I'll, I'm going to show you some stuff. And I remember I let him shoot his way for a while. And then I just grabbed him, grabbed a release. I talked him through a couple, couple important steps. And I, you know, and I just said, okay, here's what I want you to do. And he did it. He did it for like three or four shots. He just looked at me. He's like, I totally get it, man. It's like. He's like, I totally freaking get it, and it's yeah. and all of a sudden you, your brain just clicks from from just going through the numbers or of well, I'm trying to think what the best way to say it is. There's go there's a difference between going through the motions and going through something with intent, and that was the difference like as soon as he realized what he was there to actually feel and strive for he's just like wow he's like i get it man i get it like i know what i've been i I know what i've been missing and that's the the sad part is that's what a lot of people a lot of people just want to go and shoot and you know i just really strive for like i told joe we we were walking around his house and he showed me his little float tank down in the basement and he's like you want to get uh, in there yeah he's got one and i said he goes you want to get in there and i go i kind of want to you know what i'd like to do i wish i had one of those at my house and i want to like sit in that sucker for a while and i want to just meditate on on like a vegas round and then come out of there and see what happens because i've shot some pretty i've shot some i've shot some vegas rounds in the past where the the paper is pretty pretty damn impressive but i almost wonder if it's like i want to do one where i where i just have three holes stretched holes but i've never (laughs) like i've never shot an inside out super x round I've you know I've shot right. I've shot tons of thirty x rounds. My best consecutive round was um, I shot ninety nine consecutive supers. Um, one time it was a really really clean really clean target. But I mean it would be I've had rounds where one of the holes was barely stretched. But imagine imagine standing there and shooting a Vegas round where you where you barely stretch the first hole. I think it's pop. I think I'll do it before I die. I'm sure I'll do one, but you know, it's almost like that's the type of mindset you have to be in to get that done. Like you have to clear. Well, that's what. Yeah, because the number one thing people ask me all the time is like, 
I broke the world record 12 times in my career. And everybody's like, how did you do something that no one has, has ever done before? And I'm like, you got to, you got to have the mindset that you can do it. Like I, it's no other, uh, no, it's as simple as the first person that has to believe it can be done is you. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. You can have people nudging you. You can have motivators. You can have all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you're the one that has to make that decision that I'm going to do this. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? And then when it happens, everybody else goes, oh, it can be, it, it's possible. You know, it's like one of my favorite stories is the four-minute mile, right? It's never been done before. It's humanly impossible to do the four-minute mile. And now there's like... 20,000 people, including high school graduates, have done the four-minute mile, you know, in running. And it's almost one of those things where, and I'm not downplaying the four-minute mile, but, like, if you're in that kind of mindset, if you're saying. Is it sub four? Is it sub four? Or is it, is it sub no, five? It, well, it was, sub, it was sub five, but the four-minute mile. Yeah, Harry's done that. Harry did that his junior year and. um, um I think it was no. Re- it's under four minutes. It's under four minutes. It's under four minutes. Oh, yeah. good God! I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, it's legit. Yeah, I think I can't remember. That's really bad of me to tell that story and then not know <laughs> the details of the facts. <laughs> oh man, sorry, but but you know, it's cool. Is like, um, I I think I don't want people to be like, oh, this guy's an Olympian, so that you know he can pick up this stuff, dude. I am struggling just like everybody else is struggling, but I love the struggle. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm going to struggle from now, All the, I guarantee it, because like, I'm going to push myself to that limit. I'm going to struggle from now through the summer. It's hot as hell here in Texas. I'm going to shoot in the backyard, figure out how to get better, go out the distance, get better with that release. But it, because I am a, 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 was an elite athlete or anything, that does not mean my process is necessarily or I'm going to achieve that physical feet faster than anybody else. I don't necessarily think that, but I will say that my mindset is going to make me get there a lot sooner than most people. You know what I mean? And I think now that we have, I have the archery shop in Austin, what is so cool is, is like introducing people to that. You know what I mean? Bringing them in because man, we get, we get new people coming in excited about archery every day. I mean, we're moving bows through that place like nobody's business and getting people excited about it and, and watching them hit their first, you know, X and seeing that happen and, doing it the right way and um it's it's really cool to see because um they start to get that hook and then you're like cool man you're gonna you're gonna learn way more than just flinging arrows down there because again like i talked about i just think the accountability that you have and in the if you're going to take an animal with it with a bow and arrow and knowing that you only get that one shot and you you're only as good as that one arrow like the responsibility and accountability in that process um kind of separates archery from a lot of other deals you know oh yeah yeah i meant to ask you uh well a couple things one so we're when we're talking about his shop we're talking about archery country in austin texas so i mean if if someone wants a total kick-ass experience you need to go to austin which is pretty much it's it's almost like this enchanted island in the middle of texas it's so different than texas don't you agree austin is like austin is like a northwest it's almost like seattle 
like a Seattle vibe. Exactly like Seattle. Yep. Not Seattle. right now, but yeah, <laughs> Seattle vibe. Not Seattle right now, but yeah. <laughs> Seattle vibe dropped right in Texas, and you could literally you could go to archery country, you could shoot bows, you could go to the Onnit Academy and get totally geeked out on freaking steel mace and kettlebells with like with Sam and Isak, and you can get you can geek out on um, freaking Onnit nutrition, which. That's what I have. You heard me slurping. I've got this. I've got a freaking cocoa hemp shake that I've been sucking on this whole time, and um, and then you can go to archery country, and then if you want, you can go to your freaking um, your your swim. Can people just come and swim at your complex, or is it only for? Well, they we have like different classes and things like that, depending on what level you are and things like that. But I mean, we have everything from we have an. I I basically have the exact same pool that I swam the Beijing Olympics in. So it's an Olympic-style pool. I mean, specs and everything. It's a Ferrari if it looks at, like, competitive pools. And then we have everything from adult classes to kids' classes. To And we run some um, triathlon and strength classes out of there as well. And so, you know, I just think when you talk about Austin, dude, it's like it's – I don't like talking it up too much because too many people are moving here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy. It's like, man, this place is awesome. And then the next thing you know, I run into him at the grocery store. And I'm like, what the hell, man? You moved here? I was, I, was, I was talking it up. I know we were, you know, over a barbecue, but I didn't think you were actually going to do it, you know. Um, so, but it's just, uh, it's just like kind of a mecca right now, man. Everybody, big business, some, some bigger businesses are coming here. A lot of people are, you know, money coming through, which is cool. But um, like I said, man, I just, I, I find myself gravitated towards a certain type of person and a, and a certain type of um, idea and process and, like I, I learned that so much through the Olympic sports and then to come into the, the archery world like I have and kind of learn that I just even like because I went to the ATA show which I mean I've, I've you know I would follow the videos and picking myself up on the new products that were coming out when I was a you know just a consumer of the of the the sport and now when I went to the show and I got to like meet some of the people in the industry and kind of walk around and like get a vibe and I was like yeah this is you know it 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 was exactly what I wanted it to be. Yeah, you know, I, yep. I was like, exactly. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. Very much the way the Olympic sports were. I wanted it to be that way. And you know, I met movie stars and things like that in that world. And I was just kind of like, man, this is just not my world. You know what I mean? Like, this is not not what I'm about. You know. And then to kind of go into the archery world and meet all those people and kind of be around that, I was like, these people get it. You know yeah, what I mean? there's like, so there's much passion here. Just so much passion and excited about what they're doing and i'm like that's why this that's why this is one of the number one growing sports in the country right now and why it's going to be mainstream and and why like for instance especially in in the in the city of austin i mean when we, we talked to a lot of our vendors at ata they were saying like you guys are selling a, like our recreational archery has gone through the roof you know because people are excited about um just buying their first recurve and, and going outside like i said going in the backyard with a bag target and just flinging arrows with their kids and like that time spent and then and that just that's like the gateway drug to <laughs> 3d in vegas and hunting and all that's you know the tournament world and then it's just uh it's funny because they come back and they're like all right can i can i sell this on ebay can i trade this because i need to get the next model <laughs> like that was two months ago man all right let's do it you know 
and they get excited about it. And we just kind of, at Archery Country, we're a lot along the lines of what the way I am, which is we're, we're gonna, we want to teach you the process. We want you to be successful. We don't just want you to sell. Like, we know that in archery, and especially in the, in the pro shop situation, it's an experience going in there and buying your first bow. Like, everybody remembers going in and find, buying their first bow or going and buying, like, the best bow that's on the market. And and we want to make that experience the best we can and so that you can go out there and send us pictures of the big whitetails you shoot or send me a, a Vegas spot with one single hole. Come on, Dud, do it. <laughs> I'm going to try. Hey, or I guess I need to do. There's no, yeah, there is no try. But, um, no, the thing is, dude, you get it you're a shop owner you get it you know what it takes and you also invest you're investing in the people that work for you to extend their education i was talking with one of your archery managers and he's like hey if there's a new knock on podcast like i can i can literally take time off and go listen to that because in the end he knows i'm learning something and that's yep. what it's all about i mean it's about Every day, I, I have to order stuff here, not necessarily brands that I re, that I represent, but I'll I'll reach out to people and say, hey, I'll buy it, whatever. Can I just? I need to play with this. I need to I need to understand this because if I only base what I do in archery on what. I learned mostly 20 years ago going through certain aspects of my career, then I'm like, I'm old. I'm old news. I mean, you have to, you have to continually roll with the times. And, you know, when you've got, when you've got technicians that are continually improving, when you've got a a cool shop where the people there get it and they're able to give you aspects, including, you know, mental approach and technique and going through these things, then you're gonna have a prosperous business, and I mean, and you're gonna you're gonna develop into something really cool. Another thing is, you guys are passionate about it. I mean, there's, I hate saying it, but there's some there's some archery shop owners to where I'll talk to them, I'll talk to them at something like the ATA or something like that, and then in the end, you just realize they're just here going through the motions. They're just that person that's just going through the motions. They're at the ATA because it's the ATA. And there's nothing really good around here. And, you know, I don't know. Business is kind of down. And no one's. And it's just like, okay, I can feel the life being sucked out of my veins right now. It's like I'm looking, I'm looking <laughs> yeah. around. Like, where, where's the Ben well, O'Brien? Get over to that Yeti party. There was a lot of life there. Yeah, like where, where's my Ben O'Brien at? I need someone that's gonna like throw me some life juice here. So yeah, but hey, I meant, I forgot to. Um, you kind of got me on the subject because you told me that you're not able to like get out and get your brain on the in the hunting zone. What are you what are you doing this weekend, dude? What are you doing Sunday to Tuesday? Sunday to Sunday to Tuesday. Monday. I Monday. may I may be open. Monday to Tuesday. You should drive up Monday to, to um you should drive up to Oklahoma. Oklahoma? Yeah. Yep. I'm having I'll see I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. You guys are gonna laugh at me. Cause I don't have a sight on my bow right now. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. No, we're you got um, some blind bales up there that I can shoot. Heck yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> right. No, we're just we're just having a good time. I've I um 
I kind of needed a break and um, I needed a mental break. And, you know, my buddy um, Jim Miller's, he's actually flying in here in a few hours. And then my other buddy who um, actually went to work for Traeger, he's never shot before. So we're actually going to do a live feed, setting him up for the first time, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. I don't know when. And we're literally going to get him dialed in and then throw that sucker head first into spot and stock hogs mean mean <laughs> meanwhile meanwhile we've got <clears throat> we got the owner of this black angus cattle ranch bringing us cuts of meat that were requested by um a world champion uh barbecuer that is flying in just to hang out um, whiskey bent barbecue is his instagram account if you want to check him out but uh yeah we're gonna have we're gonna have a fun few days little mental break we're gonna do a bunch of they're saying it's not gonna suck it's not gonna suck well <laughs> we're probably gonna we're probably gonna have some fun shooting stuff we're gonna do a bunch of different live feeds and i'm gonna throw together a bunch of podcasts and this is kind of um for anyone in the archery community between preparing for ata ata shot show like all this stuff the month of january is just kind of a whirlwind of you know it's just it's it's chaotic i I only went to ata and i was like exhausted (laughs) yeah yeah it's chaotic so this is this is um you should just go grab ben you guys drive up like seriously i gotta give him a call later today anyway so i may holler at him yeah going on call ben get him to drive up I actually just sent Ben some um, some freaking cocktail sauce. Him and I went to St. Elmo's <laughs> with uh, me, Ben, and Remy Remy Warren and um, Jed Larkin went to St. Elmo's, and we didn't realize what St. Elmo's cocktail sauce was like. Have you ever had it? Oh yeah, the the shrimp cocktail is <laughs> world renowned, man. It's like the Dude. most legit horseradish sauce you've ever had. <laughs> well, I found like. I found the actual freaking stuff. Like you can buy it. So I bought a bottle and I sent a bottle to to Rogan. And I sent a bottle to Ben. And I sent a bottle to Remy. And I told Remy, I'm like, you need to take that like on a uh, like on one of your crazy shore backpack adventures. <laughs> like you better send me a picture like dropping like some fresh salmon across that or something. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then I haven't uh, I actually haven't heard back from from joe on it but no it was um it was it's pretty legit man it clears your sinuses like better than an afferent or (laughs) allegra anything that you got going on allergy wise right now you get one little shot of that and you're you're feeling pretty good man that's what i like about it i well what's funny is i struggled with sleep for a long time and sharon kept telling me like you have sleep apnea really bad and it's because it's because I have such a deviated septum in my nose um, that I just don't breathe really well at night. So I snore and I wake myself up. So I actually went and did like a sleep study. And then they told me, they're, they said, man, you're freaking waking up so many times at night. They said, you need a, a CPAP. So I got one of these things. And sometimes at night, if I'm a little bit congested, um, which I actually feel like, I feel like I'm sensitive to certain types of dairy products and stuff. I think if I have, if I drink milk or if I, if people put a lot of cream in certain foods that I eat, it congests my nasal. So 
that I've got that St. Elmo's. I'm almost through a whole bottle of it. I'll freaking dip something in that <laughs> and just take a brain shot and like just clear myself out. And then I go put my CPAP on and I'm just breathing clear like Darth Vader. Works awesome. That's, yeah. I got some hot sauce from Texas that is pretty good too. I may, I may need to send some up that your way so that you can try that out. It's it's kind of has that same same medicinal purposes <laughs> what is it is it like dave's insanity sauce what what do you got no it's called legman's it's like the the it's out of uh i i had it the, for the first time when i was uh my swim coach actually told me about it we had gone to china to swim a meet and um we went in there and found it and it's it's kind of it's a little bit thicker it's like crushed up um chili peppers and something else and it kind of has it has the consistency of like a sweet and sour sauce, but um, it's really light and it's all clean. Like when you read the label to this thing, you're like, you can pronounce wow. it. You well, pr- you probably could make it. Yeah, you could pronounce it, but then you could just go to the grocery store and get that uh, in the produce section, and then just throw it down and make it. And it's like once you, I mean, I put it on my pasta, dude. I put it on. I mean, I put it on everything, dude. It's awesome. So I'll, <laughs> I I'll want send some. you a couple bottles of those. Yeah, I want some of that. That sounds great. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty. Pretty good, man. So, well, hey, well, you you always have um, you always have a free pass to to come up and blank bail at my house. <laughs> if you well, you're want. gonna come down to you're gonna come down on it, right? Aren't you gonna come down on it in Austin sometime soon? Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna definitely come down, and I actually want to take some. Um, I'd love to take some some running some running and um maybe i'd love to talk with some of your triathlon people i might run a try i might do a try i've been debating that for quite a while because i'm really into riding right now i freaking love riding are you yeah i i mean i told i actually told joe that i was doing like a spinning class and he kind of lifted an eyebrow at me like what? And I. Well, did I you just see him during that 5K, man? He doesn't really like running too much. <laughs> I'm not. I actually don't enjoy running. I don't like. Here do I actually? Three miles is a very good distance for me. I can do three. I feel like I get a good workout. I don't like my knees or my shins. If I do it three or four or five times a week, I'm totally fine. But when I start doing like fives or sevens or tens, then. I just feel like the impact is just abrasive. I mean, I'm 225 pounds, man. It's like, it's just, it's just beating. So, you know, I wish I could, but when I get Well, I'm literally a fish out of water. (laughs) (laughs) You are. When it comes to the the mechanics of it all, I've spent so much of time not dealing with gravity in the water that now I have to deal with gravity on land. It, It changed my whole body type in general. Gravity's a son of a bitch, too. It is, man. I'll tell you what, if we were if we were somewhere out in the wilderness, man, and we were staring at a you know, 400-acre lake, and you're like, hey, man, I'm going to go over that range and around, I'd be like, all right, I'll meet you on this side. I'm swimming straight across. <laughs> I would much rather swim than run, man, that's for sure, just because it's just easier on your body, too, man. Like, I can... I can. I think I can do... I mean, I know you can. I got 80-year-old, 90-year-old swimmers that swim at lunchtime with us, and they fly through the water, man, and they uh, can do it till the day they die. Oh yeah. Well, it's amazing. I um, I was really lost in. I'm trying to think when it was. It might have been 
2007 or something, I'd kind of pulled away from competitive shooting and I was spending a lot of time um, with Sharon in England and I just didn't, it was impossible to find a place to shoot every single day and I just felt like I didn't have a routine in life. I just felt like, I just told her, I said, I just, I I don't wake up knowing what I'm going to do and I said, and I have to, I just feel like I have to be like preparing myself for something or I just feel lost. So I ended up going, there was a, um, a flyer for a half triathlon at her local, um, kind of YMCA type place. And she lived right on the beach in Liverpool, like right on the beach. So I just said, I think I'm going to do this. So I went to a garage sale, bought a bike. I literally found a bike. I bought it for like 50 pound and bought a bike and started biking and then started running and then I'm like the suckiest part's going to be the swim because I couldn't I I struggled to swim one or two laps even though I was in you know what I think good shape and so I remember telling someone at the at the Y I said is there anyone here that can that does swimming lessons or something because I said I really want to do that that half but I said I don't think I can physically actually make it unless I have floaties on or something. And they said, yeah, there's a girl that does tries. Um, why don't, here's her number. So I called her and I said, you, you know, can I hire you for, for a practice, you know, f- to watch me swim? And she said, yeah, no problem. So she just literally said, you know, I went there and probably no different than you. She said, well, go ahead and swim down. So I swam down and back and she's just like, okay literally gives me the freaking floaty pad she's like okay hold this i'm just gonna show you how to breathe and so she just focused on how to breathe blowing bubbles in the water how to breathe blowing bubbles in the water then she's like okay talk to you about kick i want you the same thing you hold that pad we're gonna talk about breathe breathe blow your bubbles slowly turn your head and meanwhile kick so you know and then next thing you know after like 20 minutes she was just talking to me about just the timing of the stroke. One, two, three, breathe. One, and next thing I know, it's like three breaths and I'm down the pool. You know, I'm, it's like, holy yep. shit. And, you know, I'm not like stopping and well, gasping like, for air. Yeah, and that's the number one thing that we, you know, when I'm when I'm working with somebody that's never swum before, it's actually much harder for me to teach somebody over the age of 20 than it is to, to teach like an, uh, an under, like let's say six, seven, eight year old, because you have like you have so much more strength to apply to the water than a six, seven, eight year old does. That when I put the six, seven, eight year old in the water, all I have to do is teach him the same process. I'm just going to teach him how to breathe, and then and then they kind of move through the water but they don't they don't get frustrated because they don't have all of this strength to apply right and it's like when you take somebody over the age of 30 and put them in the water they have way more strength they're way more mature they want to know why they're doing what they're doing and i'm just like let's just blow bubbles blow bubbles on the water so that you know how to breathe exhale and breathing and then i'll slowly teach you how to apply all that strength that you've already built through your life and that process can be pretty taxing on a lot of people i've gotten fairly good at it over the years but um you know it's 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 really fun to watch people like you say once they finally get it and figure it out or you know that surprise shot that you talk so much about once you feel that you're never going to want to go back to anything else well it's kind of the same way in swimming once i get you to effortlessly swim across the pool and get your breathing down to where it's the same as if you were running on land 
you're like, man, this is, this is pretty awesome. You know, this is another avenue for me. And, um, it's, it's, it's amazing how the just breathing, breath control, all that kind of stuff can really play into a lot of things that we do and try to be successful at. Oh yeah. Well, Hey dude, I don't want to cut you short, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta clean up this archer room and get Jim's, (laughs) get Jim's bow tweaked out before he gets here. But Hey, I'm put, I'm, if you want to come up, you need to, uh, I just text Ben. So I don't know if you got something going or not, but you two can figure that out. You guys are more than welcome. We're going to have, we're going to have briskets. We're going to have freaking pork crowns we're gonna have i mean who knows what we're gonna be eating and then we're gonna be shooting and i'm guarantee there's gonna be ice in a yeti cup dingling and dangling oh actually i'm gonna take uh my one buddy justin just miraculously sent me a bottle of this freaking unbelievable um rye it's called um god what is it something pig whistle pig Whistle pig, yeah. And I had some last night. It got out of control. It actually poured. It, <laughs> it poured. It whistles pretty loud, huh? <laughs> it poured out way faster than I thought. It was like one of those yeah. things where you go Hate to pour bottles. the yeah, where you go to pour the barbecue sauce and you realize there's no like vacuum, so it's just like boom. And that's what happened in my in my little um, cup last night. So, needless to say, I slept good with my CPAP machine. But uh, hey, man, <laughs> I I really appreciate you coming over, and um, I think I think you and I are gonna be buddies for a while. I don't want to get weird on stalking you with your six pack and all, but <laughs> no, it's that's... all good, man. I, I mean, look, I the thing is, is that when I bought Archery Country in Austin with a couple of my buddies, and we started going after the movement that we were. I immediately was like, we are going to be part of the knock-on nation, man, because the way you think and the way I want people that come through Austin to be part of archery country and the archery community, it's similar, man. Like, And it's funny how it correlates to just wanting to be better at your profession and better at what you're doing and enjoy the process while you're doing it because now that I look back on everything that I did in the sport of swimming – and now even what I'm doing in the world that I'm living in now and how doors are opening up, it's amazing to me how the process is way bigger a reward than all of my six Olympic medals that I have and world records and accolades, you know? And so I agree. it's cool that we kind of share that same mentality, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, the key is anything in life, if, you know, you surround yourself with greatness and you'll become greatness and, you know, picking – Surrounding yourself with people that have the same type of, you know, life vision as you do, I mean, it just makes life so much cooler. I mean, it's, you know, meeting people like you, I really enjoy being in those environments and talking because I feel like it's, I just, I feel like you're pouring life into me because you're, you're getting me pumped up and, and, you know, you're getting me excited about something that I'm passionate about and, that's what you want to do, man. If you're one of the listeners at home, find those guys that just are so excited about doing what you love to do, and that's the people you want around you. Pick and pick and choose your time uh, minimally with the people that aren't that way, and you're gonna you're gonna be way happier in life. Heck yeah, man! You said it best. All right. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it so much. And what's your what kind of, uh, for social media, what are the main ones you use? Do you got an Insta? Instagram uh, one? Yeah, so I'm on, 
I'm on Instagram. It's at Brendan Hansen twelve. Um, and then in Twitter, I am at Brendan Hansen. So I started hitting that a little bit harder than I have in the past. We had a pretty good sunset the other night at pool. That's a good picture that I've got up. And then yeah, just I'm check start, it out. I mean, I yeah. And then I I flew up to ATA in a private jet, which was pretty crazy. <laughs> what? Good to know people. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I was like, uh, sometimes, you know, like I said, you, you try to stick yourself around greatness. All of a sudden, you find yourself in the weirdest situations, and you just kind of you kind of run with it, and it's a, it's a crazy ride. Oh, yeah. Well, so it's, no. by the way, it's Brendan Hansen. So B-R-E-N. E-N-D-A-N. Yep, H-A-N-S-E-N. So um, make sure you follow this sucker, and if you're down in the Texas area, Archer Country is where it's at. And, hey, man, I appreciate it. Loved it. All right, buddy. Later. All right. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.